Welcome. I have um, as my guest today, Mr. Joe Sheehan. Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, good to come on, Adam. Good, great to finally talk to you. I've heard so many great things about this pod. Well, that's uh, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. That's that's. You know what? I, we're off to a great start already. Um, not as good of not as good of a start. Whatever happened today in the uh, the labor negotiations that lasted shorter than a Chipotle pickup order. Um, so I kind of wanted to, you know, let's just start broad strokes. How are how are we feeling right now? Not romantic about baseball, I guess. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> uh, not a great time for this brand. <laughs> you know, if you look at the last week. Um, yeah, you go with the story that broke over the weekend about uh, the league trying to cut down the number of minor leaguers. And uh, regardless of the merits, and I, I kind of see the argument for it, it's not the kind of thing that's going to get people excited about the game. And it folds into this whole idea that baseball is currently being run by people who want as little baseball as possible. So that hurt. We've been waiting for a return uh, offer from the, from the players. They made that today on Thursday and, you know, they didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of movement. You know, they didn't, they didn't move on the collective, uh, excuse me, on the, uh, the luxury tax. They moved on the package of ARB uh, issues, but in a way that didn't look like movement, they kind of shuffled some money around. Right. The players are obviously in a tough spot because it feels like they're negotiating against themselves. So, you know, a lot of pessimism. I, I had a bit of a nutty Wednesday night. I was up late reading comments on articles and that always makes me depressed. Real, um, real mood lifter. Just, I, I kind of, Exactly. Just the thing I got to do before I, I, I want to try to go to sleep. And uh, I've shifted a lot over the last week. I'm now pretty pessimistic about the chance that we'll have baseball on March 31st. Right. And, you know, that that to me, and, and I wanted to, you talk about the, the players negotiating against themselves. And this is the part that I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. And you, you said it very well and very eloquently in your newsletter. I'm just going to quote a passage that I that really stuck out to me really quickly. Um, if the owners were to accept all of the players' numbers today, it would cost them perhaps $440 million in 2022. Almost certainly less, given that many free agents who have already signed, uh, rising to perhaps $610 million in 2026. Uh, it would return overall player pay in 2022 to less than 2018 when it peaked at $4.55 billion dot 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 the players current proposals on financial issues are already a win for the owners again the, like you just said they're negotiating against themselves and i'm wondering do you think part of this part of that sort of like uh that uh, need to negotiate is this misguided pressure outside pressure that the players are somehow getting implicated in this sort of like greediness. Like we're sort of regressing back to that old, I know it's a different situation entirely, but that whole 1994 and millionaires versus billionaires. Oh, I don't think the players are feeling a ton of outside pressure at this point. Um, I think that if, if it continues on, there'll be some of that. There's certainly less of that than there was 
know, 25, 30 years ago. Right. Uh, there, there is a, a, a now a large and growing, there's a larger faction of fans who do see what the owners are doing. And the media is better, if still not great, about reporting these issues. I would say that if it was you know, 90-10 against the players uh, back in 94, maybe it's like 70-30 now. Maybe it's 65-35. But most fans are still going to blame the players. I think the players are, are stuck in that you know, they didn't take the position that I thought would lead to war, uh, tripling the minimum salary, uh, raising the luxury tax, and you know, dropping the penalties considerably, demanding two uh, arbitration roll back to all, for all two-year players. Um, they did that last, but they backed off of that. You know, I don't think the players' platform warranted what we've actually gotten here, and that's the disappointing part. Like I said, we're not dealing with is there going to be a salary cap. We're not dealing with, is there going to be free agency? We're just dealing with carving up three to 6% of league revenues. And, you know, I did those numbers, Adam. And if you want to say it's more or less, I'll buy that. But you can't get this to a point where it's a significant amount of money. You can't get this to the point where the players are going to be making 46, 47% of revenue going forward. The players are just trying to claw back to where they were maybe three, four years ago. So that's the frustrating part, man. It's not we should be having a war over these issues. It's that the camp should be open and we should still be negotiating, but it's just money at this point. Exactly. I, I completely agree. It's, you know, it, I, I keep trying to think of like, what is this, uh, you know, there's that classic negotiation tactic, right? Like shoot for the moon and then like eventually curl it back to like a reasonable proposal. I agree. I'm with you. Like I look at this and I don't see huge salary hikes. I don't see, like you said, the rollback of arbitration to a point that's extreme. Um, you see these incremental things that seem very reasonable. And yet um, you hinted at it. I look at the, I look at like the, the media as a whole and I, and you know, thankfully I have a pretty carefully curated Twitter feed, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like I kind of, I see most of the sentiment that we, we echo to, to each other right now, but you do see, I mean, even, you know, um, uh, but I'll use Buster Olney as an example who felt the need to, to quote tweet and reply to me about this issue. Um, you know, talking about doomsday scenarios, you, you, I'm not going to echo the former disgraced GM, I'm not going to give him the press, but you know who I'm talking about, tweeting nonsense. It, see, it does have that sort of like, the both sidesing has, is so pronounced, and it's so blatant. And I wonder if, if where my concern comes from with this is the... Um, you know, when you Google baseball, if we're, we're Google, they, we, our, their algorithms already got us locked up. They know if we Google baseball, we're going to get tons of results. But these uh, casual fans, the folks that maybe are just hearing about a lockout in the news, they Google, the first people that come up are Buster Olney, the, the national media, media that are both sizing this. To, to me, that seems like a big concern. What, how, where do you fall on the way the media is handling this and the, the highly exposed media? The, the largest voices are not, I said, the, the voices with the largest platforms, I don't think advance the discussion the way we like. And I mean, I, I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush. I mean, Jeff Passan isn't Buster Old. Correct. Um, you know, Ken Rosenthal isn't Jim Bowden. Uh, you know, I look at the, the, probably the person covering this best right now is Evan Drellick at The Atlantic. Excuse me, the athletic. I can't believe I made that mistake. Um, he's doing some. <laughs> I'm not some editing really it out, work. Joe. <laughs> but what we don't have 
you know, I was thinking about this today. You know, we need Scott Van Pelt, Bob Costas. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying any of these people are going to do it, but I don't know who has the both the reach and the gravitas to move this conversation in the public eye. I think about, you know, Edward Morrow in, I'm going to get the year wrong, probably 1957, standing up to Joe McCarthy. You know, have you know, uh, well, I guess it was Adam Welch in, in the hearing that said, have you no decency? But it was Morrow's coverage that yeah. kind of turned this witch hunt for communists into something that was a shameful thing. I think about Walter Cronkite, you know, basically coming out against the war in Vietnam. You know, when, you know, when is a journalist going to stand up and say, it's not both sides, it's not a work stoppage, it's not a dispute. It's a lockout being driven by the owners who want to win more than they want to put on baseball games. I'm not, look, I'd love to be that guy. I just don't have a big enough uh, stance. It's got to be somebody. And like I said, I think about Jeff who goes on ESPN. He's got that ESPN.com reach. Um, I'm not sure even Ken Rosenthal, who I think the world of, I'm not sure the athletic has that type of reach. I think it's got to be somebody going on a major network and talking about this stuff. You know, Costas is going to disagree with all, with both of us on these issues, but he would be somebody, if you could turn him, would be somebody who I think would, would have that kind of reach. But I think that's what it's going to take at this point. It's going to take something externally to move the owners where there's going to be a public outcry about this. I don't think it's going to happen internally because the owners have made clear over the last 11 weeks that they're not going to move. They've made their offer. They've said all of the things they're not going to go to negotiate on, the revenue sharing, arbitration thresholds, the luxury tax. I mean, there's just they've taken positions of total obstinacy and it's going to take an externality to move them. It's, and it's always, you know, when you, you think back like to like, you know, again, I, I can't, I can't like asterisk this enough. 1994, completely different situation. But you think about like the external entity, the, you know, the courts, the federal government had to take to come in and sort of redirect baseball and put it back, put the owners in their place and get things back into shape. Well, not into shape, but like back moving again. You think about, you know, as, as uh, sort of hokey as it was at some times, you think about the, again, the federal government with the, with the steroids and everything like that. Not saying I agree with all of that, but it did tangibly alter course. I can't, I, I wonder if there's an appetite for that, given all the like tangibly, tactily more important things going on in the world right now, I wonder if there is really any appetite for for that sort of intervention, and where or where anyone comes out looking better or looking looking okay, you know. I don't even know what this would look like if you put it in front of the current Congress, right. given how dysfunctional it is. I will say though that '94 is an interesting comp because. What happened then is the owners essentially, the owners declared a labor impasse, which is a specific a word that has meaning in labor relations, implemented their, their system, which was uh, at the time a payroll cap and significant revenue sharing. We actually had transactions under that system. I want to say Marquise Grissom signed with the Red Sox in December after it had all happened. There were other deals made. The players uh, issued a grievance to the uh, NLRB. The NLRB ruled in their favor that the owners had uh, not bargained in good faith. The owners appealed to one of the circuit courts, and it was Judge Sonia Sotomayor, who's mm-hmm. currently on the Supreme Court, who ruled 
that you know the, the owners had not bargained in good faith and that their implementation of their system was was I don't want to know if legal is the right term I want to get I don't want to get caught up on that but um, legally vague put in the, <laughs> it, 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 it violated labor law I'll put it that right. way yeah. um, so I think and, and if you want to say you know what is the owner's plan here it does seem and the call for the mediator was kind of a step in this direction it does seem like they want to bargain to an impasse a legal impasse put in their own system and replay that 94 system with that's the only strategy that really makes sense here. their entire like if you say okay what's the coherent approach from december to today it's they're trying to get to impasse and implement their uh, their preferred system and i just don't so that's the 94 comp are we going to end up back in front of the national labor relations board are we going to end up back in a circuit court somewhere uh, but the problem is of course the time you know the strike in 94 started in august you know, they implemented the system in December. Uh, they tried to use replacement players in uh, in March. And as it worked its way through the courts, I want to say March 31st was the day of Sotomayor's re- ruling. We don't have that kind of time anymore. Right. If this thing does end up, you know, they declare an impasse and we go through the NLRB and we go to courts, we're, it'll be June before we see baseball at the earliest. So that really is a change here. And I, I keep coming back to this, Adam. I don't know how you feel about it, but if baseball has a fractured season, Two years after having a fractured season, you're just permanently screwing up the game. I, I don't. I think fans are going to forget that. Oh yeah, baseball in April and May—that's what we do. Right. Um, I think you're gonna. You, it'll mess with careers. Like we already have this weird ninety now 2020 season that we have to you know account for in the statistics, and it'll eventually come up in Hall of Fame voting and all this other stuff. It messed up pitchers. We talked about how pitchers had to be managed all last year based on coming off an 80 inning season. What's going to happen if we do that again? I just I think you're really screwing with an entire generation of players. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and it, it is it strikes as almost ironic for a game so obsessed with continuity and so obsessed with the rigid, uh, non you know rigid acceptable boundaries of what qualifies as Major League Baseball that this is that we could be seeing two fractured seasons, and I mean you know when you think about everything that goes into this you it's almost like when you see the ownership treating it this way it does have sort of a helpless air about it sometimes because we as i i i use this term uh with all irony intended like we as educated fans we don't want it to be i don't want to look around in 20 years cuz i'm going to come back to baseball no matter what it's it's just it's part of my life and I'm sure you, you and others feel the same way. It would take a hell of a lot for a lot, some of us to walk away from it. But I'm going to come back to it. But I don't want it to be just me and like a bunch of writers. I love writers, but I don't want it to be just us. So that that's what I'm I'm kind of echoing what you're saying. Like I'm concerned that my daughter is going to grow up and baseball is not only not going to be present, it's going to be like almost like a fringe thing, you know? I think that's certainly a danger. Um, if this got bad enough, you were looking at, you know, an NHL type situation and the NHL has never recovered from the year they lost. They're just not, they don't have the prominence in, you know, I, I used to talk about the big four when I was a kid um, mm-hmm. and I don't anymore. I talk about the big three, the NFL, NBA and MLB. And then on a tier down, you've got the NHL. 
Uh, and it, uh, you know, it'll take a generation, you know, we're almost on a generation now, but it'll take that long for them to recover if they ever do. I think baseball's putting itself in that, in that, uh, situation because, you know, you go back to 93, 94, Adam, let me ask you a question. How old are you? I'm 36. 36. So you would have been 12. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I can do math. You would have been yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Eight. I I can agree with you. <laughs> I was eight. You would have been eight in 94. Um, so I don't know how much of that you remember, but like the 93 and 94 seasons were fantastic. Oh my they God. Were absolutely, that was one of the, the horrible things about the strike is that it interrupted the season where you had these great races, these great stories. You had the, the home run chases potentially with Williams and Griffey and Frank Thomas was in that mix as well. Jeff Bagwell was having a historic season. It was just an incredible baseball moment. So even though the strike broke that and, and it hurt a lot of fans and a lot of people were angry, it was baseball was had built up a lot of goodwill that helped to bring people back. And of course we had 95, the Ripken story, 98, the home run chase. Right. Baseball doesn't have that now. Baseball has a lot less rope than it had in 1994. The, two, the 2020 season was obviously fractured. The 2021 season was fine. And we had Otani, you had a great story in the Braves. There were a lot of good things, but you know, baseball doesn't have the, the, the purchase with fans that it used to. You're right. risking losing people who just are marginal fans. You're, Pushing away, I mean, the game itself, I mean, I don't want to get too far down this road, but I think we both know the game itself on the field, despite the caliber of the players, tends towards the unwatchable sometimes with strikeouts, lack of action, you know, 44% of runs being scored on homers. It's a stagnant game right now. Right. So baseball's not in the position today that it was in the winter of 1994, where we had a lot of reasons to come back to the game. You're asking people to come back to a game – and as we've seen in these negotiations, they've just abandoned the the gameplay stuff. They're not even talking about any of that stuff. So the game we get in 2022 is going to have a lot of the same flaws as the one we just watched. Yeah, it's it's funny that you bring that up too because the the writing has been on the wall, and part of it has to do, I think, with the tribalization. You know, the in 9394. That was a national game. You turn on TBS, the Braves were yep. playing. The You turn on Fox, you know, Fox used to have regular season games, and then they had the World Series. Uh, you know, you would turn on, even in through the early 2000s, like you could budget a time and say, hey, I'm watching the same baseball game as everybody else. Now with the cable TV yep. deals, everybody's got their fences up, and a lot of that contributes to the modern toxicity in the uh in the uh, the media world, you know, the social media world in baseball. But uh, it doesn't have the same pull because you can't just turn it on and watch it. And when you do, the, the game time is going up. The cost to go to a game is going up. Attendance has declined per game every year, excluding 2020, of course, uh, from 2008 uh, onward. And it's... It's becoming, uh, like, I think that's a good way to put it. It's almost like the line of credit was spent and in the 90s where people came back. Now, uh, there's nothing to rally around. There's nothing to kind there's no national cry like the home run chase. There, there's nothing that unites the, the fans and brings in new ones. And I don't, like, I don't see any way you can. You mean to tell me that, if Ronald Acuna goes and starts hitting, you know, 70 home runs, you mean to tell me that, uh, you know, Fox Sports South is going to just say, yeah, just take the national, you know, put it on national TV. Like, it's just not going to happen. Well, there are certain, there are things governing that, but 
um, you know, at cut-ins. And could you do that? I, I think of a story like that. If there was to pick a, a possibly more likely example, if somebody had a forty-game hitting streak, there you go. You know, that might get yeah. people going. That's still a, that's still a very romantic I- issue in baseball. And obviously, that's harder now with strikeout rate. But if that were to happen, I think a big hitting streak would get things going. Maybe a big winning streak, like the A's had in uh, what was it twenty. 20- uh, 22, or the, the Indians had a couple of years ago, the yeah. 20 game winning streak. Right. I think things like that can break through. I, I think we also don't have the rest of sports have encroached in a way that wasn't the case you know, almost 30 years ago. The footprint of the NBA is, is larger, it runs into the middle of June. The footprint of the NHL, excuse me, the, the uh, NFL, you know, running now into the middle of February. So it's harder to kind of create your own space, which is one of the frustrations now in that it's kind of a dead period in the NBA and the NHL. The NFL is over. This is when baseball should be able to leverage eyeballs. Still bigger than college basketball. Like the your, your podcast is romantic about baseball. One of the most romantic moments in baseball is those first shots of B-roll from spring training. Right. You get, oh, you know, you're, people are watching their late local news, and you know they get to see these shots of you know Charlie Morton throwing a ball to Travis Jarno, and it's utterly meaningless in the grand scheme of baseball. But I mean, I can speak for myself up here. You know, I'm from the Northeast, and you know, when it's 22 degrees outside, and they're showing us shots of you know the Tampa complex, and oh look, Luis Heel. I loved watching him last year. Baseball's throwing away all of that. This is the week where that should have happened. Football's done. Let's all turn to baseball, and they've thrown that away. And that's you just you can't keep throwing away these moments and expecting people to stick with you. Baseball is actively. They're not passively alienating people anymore. They're actively doing it. Right. I, I agree. And, and you know, what? one thing that the players have, and social media to me is the double-edged sword in a lot of this, because in some ways it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a benefit to the players because they're able to get their message out there. Mm-hmm. One of the big things they had in 94 was the messaging, like, you know, that you had Tom Glavin sort of deadpanning into a camera. We're not going to play with a salary cap. And, you know, I'm a Braves fan. I love Tom Glavin, but eh, it, was a, it wasn't a great look. Um, it, it sort of exacerbated the whole divide and the whole out of touchness of the whole of the debate. Now, social media players are able to get their message out. Fans are able to commiserate. It, there, there's a more connection t- with it. But also, I feel like the other end of that is that it's only going to uh, we're not going to be able to forget it as quickly it's going to linger much longer and it's going to be blown up at different times the frustration is almost like it's like the relief but also the frustration is is more potent what do you think about that i well, i think the players having direct access to fans helps mm-hmm. um it's probably a mixed bag for them because a lot of people will the player will play, say something alex woods has that tweet the other day and if you read the replies to that, you know, some people were, you know, yes, queen, and some of them were just like, shut up and pitch. Right. Um, and then there's still a lot of that latter sentiment, which is kind of the point I was trying to make earlier. Even if guys like you and I don't see it because you've got a curated feed, the average fan just doesn't, you know, they just see the, 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 the salary they make for playing baseball and they want to, you know, they don't want to hear about the rest of it. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to become more sympathetic to that opinion, but it's not my nature to do so. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think I, you're fair though to not because they're they're whether the casual fan realizes or not. And this is not to speak ill of casual fans. There is a more there is a larger point than just the salary. It's not just the salary. It's the concept of labor versus management. So I agree with you there. It's hard to be sympathetic when you think about the larger context. Sorry, I didn't mean right. to derail you there. No, no, you're you're right. And 
I, I appreciate you agreeing because I get wound up like, you know, if you're going to have opinions about something, make them educated. And maybe that's not fair to a guy who's working 53 hours a week and raising two kids. And you know, I, I probably need to be more sympathetic to that. But I, I find that a lot of the arguments that I hear are coming from like 1993. Mm-hmm. Who's talking about, you know, baseball needs to share revenue. Well, baseball shares more local revenue. Like the actual model is the same as the NFL. National revenue gets split evenly. Local revenue gets split according to a formula. The top three teams, I think it's the Yankees, Red Sox, and Dodgers, share more revenue with the other teams than all the entire National, National Football League transfers in, in total. So you can't tell me that baseball is not sharing enough revenue. It's just a different business model where the revenue comes in. So you know, fans will come out and say this. Fans will talk about competitive balance. I've written this piece every two years where you just look at the actual results on the field. And baseball's competitive balance is better than that of the NFL and NBA, no matter how you slice it up. There's no way to arrive at the conclusion that baseball's competitive balance isn't, isn't better than the other two leagues. Fans will still come at you with, oh, they got to fix competitive balance. No, just because the Pirates have a bad owner doesn't mean you have to build the entire league structure around the Pirates' bad, bad owner. The solution there is to get a better owner. Mm-hmm. So these arguments just keep coming back and coming. They won't die. It's like, folks, please, just read a book. Read any book and just you'll read some articles, find out more information. Um, During the the pandemic, I was angry for a lot of reasons. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I go the other way. I was angry at how we were handling it. And and, um, one of the things I found is I needed to shut up more because I was talking about things I didn't completely understand. I'm not an epidemiologist. I I skipped all the epidemiology classes at journalism school. So (laughs) I wasn't really qualified to be talking about some of the things I was talking about. I just... You know, and again, you mentioned social media. Social media is just people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about, oh, well, Twitter is. No, Twitter is just people. And what happens is now we now know all of the bad opinions our fellow Americans have, our fellow baseball fans have. They always had these opinions. We just hear them more. So it's it's about, you know, kind of understanding that it's not Twitter. It's us. Right. It's It, it really, the human element of the game is really important and it's always been something that i feel like you know and i and this is something that rattles around in my head sometimes is that i feel like and and part of this has to do part of the opinions because what i've noticed is that a lot of these negative comments that you see or this uh this issue that you that you talk about like um it it's not just now it's all the time but you see what has happened is now there's a dearth of statistics and numbers and this emphasis on value that uh, has sort of, it's not infiltrated, it's not the right word, but, I, but so occasionally, you, I wonder sometimes if like the pendulum of analytical thinking in baseball swings, has swung the other way to the point where now you look at the game and in the uh, 90s, you know, it was you see a different style of play like we talked about because ag- I agree with you. The style of play now is can be very tough to watch sometimes. So you look at the style of play, you look at the way it's looked at. It's almost like it's building a wall between the casual fan and the uh, and the analytically minded fan. And 
it's just another tick in the box when I see like Buster only going off and I don't mean to pick on him. He just got in my Twitter feed and, and I don't know, I'm salty towards him. I don't know. But like, um, you, uh, you see him talk about doomsday and stuff like that. And this is going to cost the growing of the game is going to cost new fans. I kind of feel like this will, but there's a lot of other toll gates along the way too. You know, going down to the inaccessibility for youth, the unsustainability at the minor league level, and this at the major league level. So, I mean, I don't know if this is the driving thing that will cost fans to the game. Uh, you know, feel free to, to let me know if you disagree with me, but I feel like there's other bigger issues at play than this is too important to just let it go. Well, I think baseball's doing a lot of things wrong right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we would agree on everything on all of these facts, but I do know that there are a lot of angry baseball fans out there that want to see baseball, Major League Baseball, handle things differently than they actually do. Uh, we've got to get the, the collective bargaining agreement out of the way before we start to address a lot of this other stuff. I will say that, you know, think about you know, like youth baseball is a popular topic, right? Mm-hmm. You can't force kids to play baseball. Right. I mean, some of these conversations almost sound like they want to literally go around in a van and pick up kids and drag them to the baseball field and make them play baseball. Kids don't want to play baseball. They ain't going to play baseball. I mean, I I think we've got to start to accept that kids would rather play other sports. Um, I've always argued that it's mostly about college scholarships. Um, Mm -hmm. There are, I think, I think think it's like 11,500 scholarships for football and basketball. And there's significantly less than that. I I forget the actual number. It's under 2,000 for baseball. And that drives, I think, a lot of the youth sports decisions. And no amount of rounding up kids and forcing them to play baseball is, is going to change that. You just can't beat that particular stat. And, that gets, and that's even before you get into, is baseball easier to play or you know, is basketball you know, more fun to play? Because, look, I played a lot of baseball as a kid, but most of the time we were playing hoops or you know, baseball substitutes like stickball or, or what right, have you. Right. Um, but a lot of the time it was just, look, there's, we need two guys – to play one-on-one. We need three or four people to play some 21 or play some two-on-two. We need 10 guys to, to get a full-court run going. It was just easier to play basketball. Football wasn't a big thing where I was from. We played some pickup in the fall, but that was about it. But hockey, same thing. You know, a couple of guys with sticks, you get one guy to play goalie, and you're good. Baseball just requires a lot more people, space, equipment, adults, frankly. Um, I mean, I'm of, of you know, a certain age, and I remember playing some pickup baseball, but not a lot of it. I could probably count on one hand the number of times we legitimately got, you know, twelve to fifteen guys together to play pickup baseball. Right. We just played all kinds of that stuff, and I don't think kids today are going to be playing pickup baseball games in a way that they're pick, playing you know, pickup basketball games or you know touch football on the street and things like that. So, some of these problems are not major league baseballs to fix. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you can't force kids to play base to play baseball. Like, yeah, and, and I think you, I you should want be, to. Do, I should be. No, no, no. I, I think I should be clear. I completely agree with you. I think more the, the when I go back down that road, I'm talking more about accessibility to baseball than at the youth level than the because um, I agree with you. Logistically, playing baseball is not the easiest thing in the world. But I, I think you mean like going to games or something. Like going to games is expensive. You know, you can't, you can't no. go to, I mean, it can, it can be expensive. It, it can, can also be. be incredibly cheap. It can be. Every team, every team in baseball has cheap seats, cheap packages, $39 for four tickets and four Cokes and four hot dogs. Every team in baseball has that. Um, this idea that you should be able to walk in for $39 and sit behind the dugout. 
that's a little ridiculous. That's adults putting that on kids. That's true. I know that I spent a, I spent time in the a lot of time in the upper deck. I spent time in the bleachers when I was a kid. I also spent time in good seats because you know there'd be I get a call it's five o'clock and so and so friend had tickets to the game and you know we'd sit in the loge or whatever. But there were 18, 12, 18,000 people at the game. You just the demand for baseball tickets is in a lot of places just exceeded that availability. But if you live in Miami, you can sit in good seats wherever you, wherever you want pretty cheaply, you know? And you can go I to a minor league game too. You don't have to go to a major league game. There's... Well, as I said, the Marlins. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. I forgot about the quad a class. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is where I think we kind of start making things up. Things, things get into the air supply that are untrue, but we just keep saying them. Mm-hmm. baseball. And especially if we want to get into this, it's cheaper to go to a baseball game than to go to any other sporting event. Well, that much, I d- absolutely agree with you there. I absolutely agree with yeah. you there. So this idea, like they say, you know, baseball's not accessible. The heck with it. Baseball's plenty accessible. There, it's, there are 81 games a year. There are cheap tickets available to, what, 80 of them? Oh, go yeah. To, go to a baseball game. Yeah, no, no, no. And not everything Not everything is here in the stadium. I mean, it's it's 100 bucks to sit on the second level of the stadium, but there are a lot of ballparks where it's not like that. Yeah, no, no. And again, I, I completely agree with you on the attendance side of it. I think, again, when I go down, I think of more... And part of this is logistics. Like, you need the real estate. You can't go into, you know, uh, New York everywhere and go play baseball. You know, there's... Uh, when you talk about the playing, there's a lot of hurdles, I think, that... You know, from an ex- from an accessibility standpoint, financially at the youth level to play baseball, mm-hmm. to to the equipment. I mean, getting a good getting a glove, get, getting a bat, getting going to travel. I mean, when you talk about my uh, youngest sibling was in travel ball, the cost to do those things. And I know that's kind of a fringe example, but uh, again, uh, not to rabbit hole this because I I do agree with you. Um, I think that there's the point I'm, I think I was trying to make is that there are more issues at play than just this, that the lockout that are, that could be costing fans and driving fans away from the game. Um, oh, I, Adam, I agree with you that kids not playing baseball is a big issue for baseball. I'm just not sure what baseball can do about it. Like there's right. no question that the sports you follow as an adult, are related strongly to the sports you played as a kid. And, and, you know, I played everything, so I still follow everything. But baseball, I love more than anything else. And we talk about travel ball like it's a bad thing, but a lot of baseball fans are going to come out of travel ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with that. I played Little League. I, you know, I, I didn't play in high school because I hated my high school. Um, I played uh, like an American Legion level league when I was 18. Like travel ball wasn't a thing for me. And I don't have a baseball playing child, so I'm not that familiar with it hands on. But it definitely has sucked out kind of the community-based baseball that I remember. Sure. And I think that's a problem. But again, I go back to, you know, what – I mean, is, is it going to come down to baseball paying the way for some kids to play on these teams? Because, frankly, I don't think that's going to work for the kids. Look, man, 10-year-olds aren't stupid. And if they know, like, some of these kids are on scholarship, that's going to be a break. That's going to make it hard for, like, the experience to be a positive one. I just – I think that there these these problems go past – what MLB can necessarily do for itself and more get into, I don't have a solution, but I know the solution. You can't just say we're going to pay 10 year olds to play baseball. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that hasn't, there's no way that ends well. Um, I do, I do agree with you there. Um, I think probably one of the things that 
I'm noticing a lot with, and it, part of this has to do with the, the, you know, the discourse around, like you said, like it does get caught up in the, in the moment with what's going, what we're angry about as fans right now. Because yeah, like it, it just goes out in the, into social media, it gets hashtagged, it gets tossed around, you know, in varying ways. Do you think that, and it's hard to say this, and this may be an impossible question to answer. Just tell me if you think it is. But I'm curious how, you know, put yourself in, you know, 10 years away. Do you think that uh, social media and the, and the role that it's playing and the way that we are right now, uh, we can look back at 94 and we can draw the timeline and say, okay, this is, this is how we felt then. This is how we feel now. And this is how we look back on it differently than we did in the moment. Do you, do you think that we would have a similar effect with this? Or do you see like the, do you see like not that much divergence? Like, you know, I, uh, from where we are now. Well, I think social media is not going back in the box. Maybe specific platforms wax and wane. Maybe we're not all on Twitter in 10 years, but I think we'll also be talking to each other in public. We'll be in the metaverse. We had yeah, the metaverse or something. It'll be something. I don't. I think. Well, I think more people will opt out. I don't have a Facebook page. I don't have an Instagram page. I only have Twitter because of my job, and also to some extent, Adam, because it's where baseball happens now, right? Right. Yeah. I think I that's agree. a fair statement. Everything in baseball happens on Twitter. Yep. Um, so I might still have it, but no, I do think that we've gotten a taste of this, and I probably won't live long enough to see it go back in the box. People are just going to want to express themselves and want to have these conversations, and companies are going to want to find audience, and that's where they're going to find audience, especially if you know Facebook continues to, to fade domestically. Um, I think Twitter's probably well positioned to, to pick up the slack there. So no, I think we'll still be doing this in 10 years. I would hope, I guess the hope is that we'll find a solution for bad information and misinformation. And I know that gets into questions of censorship, and, I, and this is probably outside the ken of this, uh, this podcast. But I will say that, you know, I would like it to get back to a place where good information can drive out bad, and we don't have that right now. Yeah, the canon of this podcast is strange. I did dis- I, we d- I did talk about eugenics with Dan Okrant once on this show. So oh. the the canon the can- the canon got fired long ago. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I do I do agree with you that you know it, it just it wonder it makes me wonder how this is going to be painted because we did see and I can be hopeful. I'm going to have an optimistic moment towards the end of the show here, and like I'm gonna I'm gonna imagine and think ex- somewhat excitedly that as bad as things are right now in the game, you know, that there could be some great unifying moment, something like the home run chase of 98, you know, something that could bring everybody back, you know, in the same try, maybe not the same triumphant way. Cause there's a lot of societal hurdles that weren't there, you know, uh, in 94, 95, but I'm just, I just, I can just hope that there's one unifying moment that the, or one unifying season that brings it back. And I'm not sure I mean, what that Otani is. I mean, Otani should have been that, right? Or, that, wasn't yeah. he to some extent? What's that? Oh, oh Shohei Otani. I think, not only did I think he bring, I mean, nobody doesn't like Shohei Otani. <laughs> I was probably the furthest down on him, just making the argument, you know, a year ago at this time, that I wasn't sure if he should do both hit and pitch. I wasn't sure he could do both at the major league level. You skeptic. You have to choose one. I've, <laughs> Hey, look, not for nothing, but it had been five years since he'd done both. 
Mm-hmm. I, I had some pretty good legs to stand on. Um, and Ben Lindbergh's going to be able to lord this over me for the rest of our lives. Oh, but, he doesn't uh, listen to this show. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but Ben is you know, one of the most foremost Otani uh, honks out there. But no, I, I think that was last year. Otani, it was the Otani season. We all, I mean, when he had that Sunday night game against uh, the White Sox, you know, he threw 100 in the top of the first and he hit one out at 100 in the bottom of the first. Things we'd never seen before. Um, that, to me, should have brought everybody together. I think it did, but it's been... Five months now since we've had that. Right. And the postseason, honestly, the postseason's a mixed bag these days. You know, it's, it's, there are great moments and we celebrate the champions, but it's also 30 straight nights of three and a half, four hour games. And it gets, I mean, honestly, look, I love baseball, but I don't always love postseason baseball. No, I, you know what? It's, it's almost work. You know, you're, you're right. And it's funny because I remember, you know, I, I'm a lifelong Atlanta Braves fan. I was thrilled when we got to the World Series, but I do remember distinctly a couple times. This is the World Series, the one I waited, you know, a lot of my adult life for. And it, like it turns over this and I'm thinking like, oh, man, do am I going to stay up for this? Like it was it has become that way. And I, so I completely agree with you. Like I shouldn't, I, if you told like 10 year old, you know, 12 year old me, oh yeah, you're going to like waffle on staying awake for all nine innings of a Braves World Series game. I'd say you were crazy, but you know, here, here we are. <laughs> the, the baseball players have become the NHL playoffs, this war of attrition. And that's just not what they, the season is supposed to be the war of attrition. Right. The playoffs should not be what they, they become this incredible grind. This, this, do you survive them? And I don't, I don't think that's what they're designed to be. So again, we're kind of off track here, but again, that's the last thing we had was this grind and right. And all we've had since then is this horrible labor story. And even on top of that, you know, the Trevor Bauer, you know, what the, what are they going to do with him? Which I don't think at the moment they can solve because the domestic violence agreement actually expired with the CBA. Yes, exactly. They can't actually address that. Um, this, this, this story obviously with the angels and Eric K, uh, that trial just ended uh, Thursday afternoon. There's just been no positive stories. We right. haven't even had, like we had that burst right, you know, right around Thanksgiving with the signings, Seeger and yep. uh, Semyon and all the things the Rangers did, all the things the Mets did. And that was fun. And then, you know, we've had three months of yelling at each other and I just don't, we needed spring training and we're not getting that now. And even the problem we have now is that there's, there's almost no way to make this a positive story at this point. Like if they, yeah, then we reach an agreement this weekend and we get, 80% of a normal spring training and you know, the season starts on time. Fine. I think we'll all, we will forget this, even though I don't think, I think whatever settlement we have now is going to leave us with the same off field problems we've had. Right. And but I we can deal with that when we get there. But if this ends up being a fractured season, nobody's going to feel good about it. Right. If we play a hundred game season that starts in the middle, you know, in early June, it's just going to be another, well, we had a broken season because the CBA was needed. They took until May to figure out the CBA and, at this point, that almost feels like a, an optimistic viewpoint. Again, it's like, when do when do we get the big positive? When do we get – I don't know if you're a football guy. It was the first weekend of the NFL playoffs this year were just incredible. Mm-hmm. Just really fun games. Maybe great not well games, yeah. Games, fun games, great games, great endings. Like, baseball just doesn't – it just can't get out of its own way and have that kind of moment anymore. And it's frustrating to somebody who's basically devoted his adult life to the game and can't really remember a time when he didn't love baseball – to see it to be he had to be tied so much to this league that just can't get it right, right consistently. You would think that just accidentally they get something right now and again, and they don't. It's I think that's where and, they, and that's where you're getting. I kind of talking about you want to be positive, but 
they're not giving us anything to be positive about. No, no, you're, you're right. Give us something. I want and I want to and I want to backtrack just for one second. I appreciate you bringing up the fact that because uh, I haven't figured out a way to articulate this in a tweet, but the uh, you know the domestic violence uh, renewal with the CBA. Um, that's why Marcelo Zuna. That's why uh, you know Trevor Bauer are out in limbo right now. It's not because they're exonerated or anything like that. It is literally part of the CBA, and they need to figure it out. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Um, it's uh, but yeah. So I, I just wanted to get that out in the open. Learn about CBA, people. Um, but ultimately, I it's think online you can find it. You can read it. I it's right it there. I've read it. It's not fun. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not. It, yeah, it's not exactly. It's not exactly a toilet read. Um, so I don't recommend yeah. it. Uh, other than my wife works with domestic violence victims, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm I try to be in tune with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you this: I look forward to something that will make us feel better about it. But I I have to agree with you right now. My Patience, not with baseball, but with MLB, is being awfully yeah. tested. Not, but well, I, you know, it's like, what, what next? You know. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to cling to, and I said this, I, I was on effectively wild last week, and what I closed with was this: This is miserable right now. But the reason we care so much about this is that on the other side of it are the greatest baseball players we've ever seen. I mean, and I'm always going to be the guy that says that the players that just baseball players always, always get better from, you know, the 1850s to today. We are watching the greatest players who have ever lived. And the best players we have now are some of the most watchable, incredible talents we've ever lived. Otani, Tatis, Soto, Vladito, uh, Scherzer. There's just so much incredible talent out there right now. I could sit here and probably do 150 names like that. That's why we care because we want to get back to watching these guys. We and again, I can talk your ear off about the problems even with the game on the field, but the talent supersedes that. Right. I want to go to the stadium and have a dog and watch the game. I want to. I don't really want to go to city. It's a thousand miles away from me, and I've never really caught to it. But you know, or even so, I used to do this thing. And this is a side thing. So in my old neighborhood, there's actually now a farmer's market outside my old grammar school, which freaks me out. Such a bougie thing to have but it's a good farmer's market <laughs> yeah. um and it's right next to the park where i grew up playing ball so i used to when i lived in it would after moving back here i would go up and i would go to the i would go past the farmer's market walk around inwood park and stop for a while and watch the inwood little league games that were playing like that's the baseball nerd i'll just sit for a half hour and watch these kids play and god did we look this bad at 13 was i that bad a baseball player at 13 i feel like we were it's a real moment of self-awareness Right. Yeah. I got, I suck. Uh, but then you go to the farmer's market, but just like, like I want to do things like that. I want just to get baseball back to center. Now, I Columbia plays up in my old neighborhood and mm. uh, the reader who's, who's one of the coaches there. And I've obviously, you know, they didn't, the Ivy league didn't play sports last year, but I mean, you need to get over there and, and, and catch some Columbia baseball. You know, up at, it's not Bakersfield. It's not Bakersfield. Bakersfield's the football stadium. I don't know what it's right. called now, but it's just like to get baseball to be, and to have more to baseball, than just arguing with people online. I don't enjoy it. I would much rather not do that, but, or, or to, to maybe change the conversation, I would rather be arguing about if you're sitting at four in your fantasy draft, do you take Vlad? Do you take Soto? Do you jump up a pitcher? Do you take Bo Bichette for this? Like, those are the arguments I want to have. I want to argue about the Cardinals versus the Brewers of the Central this year. These are the baseball arguments I grew up having 
that I'm sure you grew up having that are the fun parts of being a baseball fan. Well, Joe, I didn't get into this to talk about the CBS. Right. This is, this wasn't part of the job description, but I'll tell you what, when we do get baseball, please come back and argue with me about baseball. Please. <laughs> I want I, 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 I trust me, man. I, I love talking, just talking baseball. That's like a big part of the fun for me. We haven't got a chance to do a podcast. Yeah. But you know, I, I listen, I, I am super appreciative of the time that you've given. It's, it's great to talk to you. And, um, you know, please come back and, and we'll have something more fun to talk about. Right? I look forward to it, Adam. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you.